Hey guys, Binabu presents the MedTech podcast. If you're intrigued and want to learn more about how technology is changing healthcare, then this podcast is perfect for you. If you want to learn about entrepreneurship and innovation, then stick around. My name's Ash, and welcome to the conversation. Hey guys, I'm joined with an extremely special guest today. I'm honored to have him. He's an entrepreneurial inspiration for anyone looking to get into the medtech health tech scene. So I'm joined with Dr. Alexander Young, who initially trained as a trauma and orthopedic surgeon, but has now stepped out of medicine and has founded his own medical educational company that provides immersive and augmented virtual reality training for healthcare professionals. Verti's platform allows users to practice and learn from simulations of realistic medical scenarios in a safe and controlled environment. The company has won numerous prestigious awards for its innovative approach to training and has been recognized as the leader in the field of medical education technology. Without further ado, I'm really excited to get into this episode. So please just as always, make sure you hit that follow button, hit the bell icon, give the episode a rating and please share with as many friends as possible because it just helps the channel to grow. Thank you so much, guys. Dr. Alex, you started as a NHS trauma and orthopedic surgeon and now transitioned into the entrepreneurial world of building your own company. It's really great to have you today. So why don't you just introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, for sure, man. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Always very excited to speak to fellow medics. For anyone listening who doesn't know who I am, uh, my name is Alex Young. I, as you said, used to do trauma and orthopedic surgery. I trained at Bristol Medical School, did all my postgraduate training around the Bristol area in the Southwest, but I've always been quite entrepreneurial. So when I was at med school, I set up a company that did what we'd probably call test prep, I guess, in healthcare, so preparing doctors and their nurses for exams like finals. And then when I qualified, that became preparing things, people for things like the MRCS in surgery or for interviews. And then we ended up selling into the US for things like the US MLE. So I started off, I suppose, as what you would call now a solopreneur. So it was very much my own company, completely bootstrapped. I was the only employee for quite a long period of time. And that company scaled up pretty rapidly while I was still within clinical practice as quite a lucrative side hustle. So at one point, that was basically making around about 10 to 12 times what I was earning in my surgical training. And oh. then I, I think during that journey really was bitten by the, the kind of business bug and taught myself everything from marketing to sales to customer success and all the sort of nuts and bolts in between that. And then had an idea for really helping people to learn at scale without needing to be in a sort of face-to-face -face environment and that's where the idea for verti came from i was actually in new york when i had the idea and i thought how can we translate a lot of our in-person clinical experiences that we see maybe only on the job or in things like a simulation center or with soft skills training using actors how can we turn that into an online much more accessible medium and so at the time virtual reality was really taking off this was back in 2018 pre-pandemic and then during the pandemic obviously no one could get together in person to do really anything and so that kind of idea really gathered momentum and we grew the company to, to 60 70 people in a very short space of time that was the, my first experience of raising venture capital and we raised quite a bit of cash through venture partners in both the us and the uk and that's continued to grow and grow and i also make some pre-seed sort of angel investments in health tech 
in the UK predominantly and have previously teamed up with one of my friends to start a sort of mini health tech investment fund that we run. We ran for around about 18 months before my company kind of Verti really took off and I went 100% on that. Yeah, got a quite interesting background and it's <laughs> yeah, been a fun journey along the way, right? Yeah, really interesting. There's a lot there. And I did a little... In my five stalk, obviously, before for the podcast, I, I like to look up the guests just so I'm well-versed in terms of I know the questions to ask. And it, with you specifically, there was just so much to go through. And I guess that's obviously translated in your introduction speech. It's, it's probably twice as long as most other people. And so I want to bring you all the way back to your childhood days because I want to understand your entrepreneurial drive because you have done so much from initially i think i read somewhere you first taught yourself how to code at the age of 14 15 and then you got into medical school you then scaled up your own company your events company education company that was an online company for healthcare professionals as you said and then training as a trauma orthopedic surgeon you then stepped out and have focused on verti now and before we get into what verti does i wanted to find out a bit more about you your background and where this entrepreneurial drive first started from yeah, it's really interesting. Whenever anyone asks me that question, I always just default to thinking, actually, I'm very lazy. So if I didn't if I didn't have to do any work and I could chill, play with my dog, play with my PlayStation, go to the gym, that, that would be a cool day, right? And yeah. I think when, certainly when I was growing up, I, I loved doing sport. I was a huge nerd, so I was just fascinated by technology, whether that was playing video games, whether it was figuring out how computers and stuff like that worked. And certainly when I went to medical school, I didn't really want to do things that some of my fellow students might be doing to earn some cash on the side. And when I went through medical school, our university fees were only, I think, about a third of what everybody is paying now. But people obviously were still getting jobs on the side to pay their way through. And I, at that stage, was very much just in really simple terms without even knowing what business was. I just thought, you know, I want to do something where... I'm not having to spend all my time working behind the bar for minimum wage. I, I want to do something that's a bit more scalable, a bit more fun. And that that was, I think, where my first real business came from, really out of necessity for how can I pay my parents back for putting me through university? How can I get some extra cash on the side? Even, I would say, my subsequent businesses that have scaled quite significantly a lot of those started off just trying to solve a problem for myself, which was, for example, my my medical education business that, that literally started off with, okay, I need a house deposit and I just work backwards. I need to get X amount. If I save up on my like core surgical training salary, that's going to take this amount of time. Yeah, <laughs> what else can I do to get there a little bit more quickly? So that, a lot of it was the necessity and then just basically being a nerd <laughs> and yeah. figuring it out along the way. <laughs> it's funny because you use the word nerd and I feel like... So I used to get called a nerd as well at school. But I don't think of it as a bad thing because I feel like a lot of people that used to be a nerd traditionally in school, whatever, are the ones that are now are innovators like yourself, the Elon Musk of the world. And so it's an interesting word, nerd, but I think it's a good thing, honestly. I think it says something about someone, if their character. And so, yeah, I think before we get into Verti as a platform and what you guys are doing the augmented virtual reality space i think it's best to start backwards and obviously as founders of a company when you're building your own business you're often taught about this design thinking workflow and you're often told to start the problem and then identify your problem and then you want to refine that problem and then build a solution around that problem so i guess let's bring you now to so you've you obviously graduated from medical school worked on your side businesses so initially where did 
the problem that you want to solve in terms of Verti stem from? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think I, I start almost, you know, whenever I'm thinking about any business venture, I start probably even earlier than the problem. So I think what's the audience and how can I connect with that audience? So for me and for many people listening, that audience may well be someone or something in the medical space. And so you need to think, firstly, has that audience got a problem and do they also have a budget or some money to be able to pay for that problem because you could go and find a problem in most sectors but unless that is a problem that people are going to pay you to solve there's little point of pursuing that in terms of business so the best advice sure. i would give anyone is solve a problem for rich people that that is that that's probably the best thing to focus your time on in just really yeah. simple terms but unless of course you want to build a non-profit Exactly. But even, even non-profits, you're going to have to have some kind of income from somewhere. You're going to need to focus your time around figuring out what that problem is for your audience. And for me at the time when I was looking at Verti, one of the big problems for myself when I was delivering things like advanced trauma life support, where I was a teacher on it in my orthopedic training, or when we just thinking back, I've been through medical school and you do things like communication skills training, if you inherently think about that, a lot of it is firstly unfair, it's also unscalable, and it's very not data-driven, so it's very subjective how those things are often assessed. So for something like communication skills, which I feel is one of the most important skills, if not the most important soft skill that you can possess in any walk of life, let alone medicine, the way that you communicate with people, the way that you break bad news in healthcare, the way that you do sales in business, that's all part of soft skills and how you communicate. But actually, if you think about how that's taught, it's taught very sporadically and with a lot of variability. So certainly when I trained in Bristol, we had some actors who came in. I don't think I'd be offending anyone by saying they weren't necessarily the best <laughs> actors. Like we weren't getting Sir Patrick Stewart or someone coming in yeah. and doing how to break bad news to a patient. So that was all very unscalable. And then going into different hospitals, different people get different experiences on different days. And so with Verti, I wanted to try and create something that was a lot more standardized and, and a way where we, I guess, as the creator of that platform could pull out data and really set a standard for what good soft skills looked like for anybody and so that for me at that time that seemed like a huge problem and it wasn't a huge problem just in healthcare where the audience would obviously be places like simulation centers places like hospitals places like gp surgeries who would potentially buy that but also extending outwards pretty much any big corporate where you need to teach soft skills to your middle level managers your new employees when they're onboarded and just about anybody that was a big enough and ambitious enough idea for me to get very excited about and that was one of the things where when i had this very hard decision of should i leave trauma and orthopedics which i absolutely loved and i was very near the end of my training like between st6 and st7 well, to go to be very, very sure of yourself. A hundred percent. And I think that that was the big thing for me. And th this was around about four and a half, five years ago now, where there was some frustration from some people in the healthcare service with inefficiencies, but certainly not as much as what's happening at the moment. And for me, in my orthopedic bubble, I absolutely loved getting into work. I loved every second of it. So I, I was fortunate in that when I decided to leave, it wasn't because I was fed up with medicine or frustrated. It was because this opportunity that I'd ideated was so much bigger and I thought it was worth taking that risk. Sure. 
And I could definitely second that from a student perspective in terms of we, we've recently had our finals, so our OSCEs, and I live in a medic household with five other medical students and we all have our own different circuits because obviously we, we go in at different times during the day. And then after we full finished, we all come back home at the same time and we discuss what our different experiences were with the examiners, were the actors, were the actors pretending to be patients. And it's so varied, honestly. And you're just thinking to yourself, how on earth is the medical school going to standardize this? Because you have in one scenario, one actor giving, I guess, some really good prompts, helping you out in some sense. And then you have some actors that are literally giving you nothing and then you're just sat there. What do I say now? And so that's a huge problem that I've encountered in my training so far. And it's really great what you're doing at the moment in terms of trying to build a solution to, to solve that problem. And I guess another thing that I've noticed as well is the variability in teaching at medical school. If from earlier on as first year, we get exposed to cadavers and we start learning anatomy through the cadavers and it's small group teaching. So you'll have groups of five to six and it's really interesting. You'll be more engaged with the teaching on a specific day, depending on which teacher you get and how, how engaging they are, how, what their teaching styles. And so on some sessions I would go in and learn a lot. On other sessions I'd be like, you know what, I need to really touch up on this. And I didn't learn anything that session. And so initial is really interesting there that you've obviously identified that problem now i was going to say starting to build you've already pretty much already built a solution you're just working on that and so why is it that when you when you identified these problems initially that we were speaking about what led you down the virtual reality augmented reality route to solve these problems yeah, great, great question. I think the problem like should always come first. And I think when you're starting any company, especially if you're bootstrapped and you don't ever want to go near things like venture capital or taking external financing for your company, then you need to create your kind of minimal viable product in such a way that it's cheap, but it gets to the point and gets you as much feedback on that product from your target users as possible. For us, it was not so much virtual reality or augmented reality or latching onto specific technology. It's how can we do those things that I just mentioned? So how can we collect objective feedback? How can we scale teaching and training from being relatively isolated and unscalable to, to anyone and let them access it on demand? So one of the first things we did was just look around and think, how can we actually do that as a team? When I say we, I put together a, a team of some of my friends around the Bristol area, some of whom were games designers, some of whom were engineering experts and developers. And we all sat down and we thought, okay, what's the most affordable way that we can do this and get some really early feedback on it. And actually the initial prototype for Verti was all built around video and sure. our CTO at Verti was an expert in video streaming. And so what we did was we built this MVP, which was very quick to get out, mocked up around video based training. Now, four and a half years on, we've got these kind of AI powered virtual avatars we've got a feedback system we've got live streaming all this kind of stuff but the initial thing that proved we had elements of product market fit early on was just very quick very simple very scalable and it solved an immediate problem for people so that's how i've always approached things and i think as soon as you hit that product market fit piece then you can start building upon it you can ask your customers for more and more feedback around what else they. but that's basically what we did with verti we, we weren't so obsessed with vr and ar as a specific thing but those were always something that we thought, okay, if we've got this video system, we can extrapolate that into virtual reality. We can 
transport people into these environments which is as, as realistic as possible and so i guess a lot of that transition to vr environments and augmented reality were led by the customers we sure. ourselves were quite skeptical of the tech and, but we wanted to get our customers saying we will use this if you build it in a vr headset yeah that's really interesting so you obviously started with the problem and then built a solution around that problem and it was only later that you started incorporating vr ar in, into that solution and so i guess we've been talking about averti for a bit now i've been putting you putting off you giving that little elevator one minute pitch to each speech just so i could get i want the listeners to fully understand initially first what was before averti and the environment of teaching and so they can just understand a bit better about why there is a need for a platform like verti so now i'm going to give you the spotlight so what actually is verti yeah, so Verti is a digital learning platform that can be used by anyone, anywhere, at any time that allows them to optimize their soft skills through repeated practice of simulated soft skills environments, whether that's in healthcare, where you might be breaking bad news to a patient or examining them, or whether it's in a business setting where you might be conducting a performance review. And you can think of Verti as two things. One is on the user side, where people can jump into these on-demand scenarios, work through them in a gamified way using video-based scenarios, but also these newer computer-generated avatars, a little bit like if anyone plays role-playing games on their PlayStation or PC, think about things like Fallout or any of the games where you've got dialogue choices and you're on the right track. And then behind the scenes, there's an authoring tool so that people in the learning development space can create their own simulations and create those at scale for all of their users and learners. Sure. I was playing around with the platform last night and it reminded me of, I used to play a game called The Last of Us, which is being talked about quite a lot at the moment because obviously they've recently created a TV series around it. And it really reminded me that just the graphics of it, the faces and then in the interactions of The Last of Us. And I used to love that game. I used to play it so much. And so it was really, I guess, I'm trying to think of the word, probably rewarding to see that there is a new, there's this way of learning that is engaging and is different to the traditional way of just looking, reading for a textbook. And it's now incorporating these kind of gamification elements and the, these virtual patients that you get to interact with. And I recommend to anyone who's, who's learning in healthcare, I was going to say anyone interested in AI, VR, but actually anyone interested in learning effectively who's in healthcare at the moment should honestly just get on the platform and take the demo for themselves and it's really great. And I guess what are some of the other real world examples? Obviously we mentioned these virtual patients that you can have a conversation dialogue with, but what are some other ways where Verti is changing the way we learn? Yeah. So I think one of the most fun things about building out the kind of authoring suite behind the scenes for people to actually create their own scenarios with is it's really fun and exciting just to see what people create and come up with. So we've had everything from people basically recreating sim man deterioration scenarios where people like the, if you're speaking to one of the virtual avatars they can suddenly go into a cardiac arrest at a set period of time during the scenario and then the player or learner whatever you want to call them has to actually start performing a cpr and go through the correct algorithms of treatment equally we've also had people create some really interesting mindfulness experiences so that's more utilizing the kind of video side of the platform but teaching people how to behave mindfully and take breaks and things like that and i think one of my favorite use cases is for just really simple stuff actually like onboarding new people to a department both in healthcare and outside because i remember my first day on the ward as an f1 
didn't know what anything was. I didn't know what I should be doing. There wasn't really any onboarding other than some like slightly old school fire safety lecture, which kind of sucked. And it's really good that we get feedback from the users saying, I felt much more prepared going into my first day, whether that's in medicine or anywhere else, having been through some of these scenarios. And that, that's the fun bit for me is seeing what people actually create with the tools that we've built. Yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed the uh, surgical simulation because I remember my first time as a medical student going down to a theatre and I, it was quite a very daunting experience, obviously, because you have all these top consultants who, some of them not so nice, some of them really nice, but some of them a bit scary. And depending on the consultant you're with, some of them will, won't give you much time or attention, won't explain the procedures. So it was refreshing to go into this VR simulation and look, be able to look around and also be right up close to the action as well. Because just to tell a story, when I was during my vascular placement surgery, I went down to the theatre to witness a triple A. But because of how many people there were there, I was at the very back of the room and didn't get really get to see anything. So it was great to see right over the simulation being right up close and personal. And along with that, that it was very interactive as well. If if there was something I didn't understand or something I didn't know about, I guess I could click on it, right? And there would be questions that would come up. So yeah, maybe you can go into a bit more detail because I can see the surgical simulations being really relevant for the audience that listens to this podcast. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, surgery is my background. So that's always been one of the really exciting things that we've been able to help on the teaching side with. And I think you just reminded me of a really good point, which is sometimes we forget that anyone entering just whether it's a, an operating theatre or just being on call for surgery or in a surgical ward or even in a hospital, it is a very daunting and scary experience. And if you think about a new nurse or a new doctor getting into that environment for the first time, you know, that can influence your whole career in the future, because if a surgeon shouts at you, you might be really scared and think, oh, that person's a real douchebag. I don't want to go and do orthopedics or vascular surgery or whatever it is. Whereas if you had a much nicer experience and a friendly experience and been involved in that, then that might be something that you looked to a career in the future. And one of the really interesting things is that the platform actually works a little bit like kind of exposure therapy in many ways, because if there are elements of going into a new job or going into a new environment that you do find scary or a bit apprehensive about, by actually going through it first virtually, when you do so in real, it's like going there for the second time, basically. And without going too much down the kind of learning and research nerd rabbit hole, what one of the cool things that some of our early customers actually did with the platform was do a couple of studies looking at specific use cases. And one of those use cases was F1s and F2s going on to busy on-calls in surgery at a district general hospital. And what they did was they looked at actual clinical anxiety scores of those doctors before training and after training and the traditional training, they were still very anxious because they weren't sure what was going to happen. They didn't want to utilize the registrars or whatever when they were on call and they were really scared about taking that bleep. Whereas when they went through some of the training that was on Verti because it was on demand, because they could put a, a huge number of potential cases that they could get exposed to on the platform, when they then did the post-training anxiety schools there, it actually reduced their anxiety. And Lewis, who was one of the, the registrars who, who did that piece of work in surgery, he won the British Orthopaedic Association Simulation Prize for it, which was super cool. And that was nothing to do with us. That was all directed by some healthcare professionals, which was really fun. So I think that that piece in surgery, you've nailed it on the head, which is you'll get the, there's a limited exposure you can have to the operations going on in any hospital at any time. And if you think about some surgical specialties, things like paediatrics, um, 
where there are some very niche infrequent operations that happen and very infrequent clinical cases that appear by recording those in in any kind of video but 360 immersive vr video you can give that to anybody to go through as many times as they like regardless of where they are and i think just a final point on surgery one of the really cool things that we did with some of the surgeons in the southwest of the uk was we actually took verti some of the equipment out to ethiopia this was beginning of 2020 actually before the pandemic shut everything down and we were able to record a lot of operations in resource limited environments and also take a lot of the recordings that we had from nhs hospitals and share it with the surgeons there so that kind of exchange of knowledge at scale was just super cool because i think a lot of the time we forget what it's like to not have an mri scanner around the corner from your operating theater or not have the latest tools and kit and seeing how people cope with that in in different areas around the world just opens your mind and makes you a little bit more grateful for what we have over here and of course most importantly makes you a better surgeon operator nursing assistant whoever it is that's going through that training yeah i think that's really powerful actually that you have people here in places like ethiopia like you mentioned to who wouldn't have a access to the to let's get say going into a surgery and learning about niche procedures but via the verti platform they are able to and almost feel like they're there and learn in a way that is engaging in a way that will be remembered so bnabu is a med tech education platform and we want to inspire as many students as possible in terms of getting them started on their med tech health tech journey and build innovators in the space and part of my role at bnabu has been using a mentorship program via the metaverse platform spatial and i'm sure if you're familiar with spatial.io so part of my role was effectively transitioning the course which was traditionally on, done on zoom to spatial.io and the feedback was really varied a lot of people said that they really loved the transition to spatial because it was more engaging it, it provided a different experience and that there's a lot of zoom burnout at the moment so because it was different they were engaged and it was more memorable but then also on the other end of the spectrum there the feedback was uh, people weren't comfortable using this immersive metaverse platform and so I think that shows that there, there may be a need for early exposure, specifically in medical school, to VR, AR, immersive technologies like Verti. Because I know where I am at the moment, Nottingham, they don't have anything in their curriculum in terms of immersive experience teaching, even if it's through anatomy or patient simulation. There really isn't much at my university any particularly. So I was wondering, what it, what is it that you're doing at Verti to accessibility and start teaching the future doctors early on about these more effective ways of learning yeah it's a great point and i think you introduced anything new regardless of the technology you've always got to take the both the learner and the customer who is buying your software on a journey to really show that it works firstly and secondly that it's easy to implement for them because having worked in the nhs myself and having sold into lots of sort of big companies outside of healthcare everybody has so many different passwords everyone has so many different systems that they need to be using you just got to make things easy for people in order to to drive adoption and i think for one of the things that we did from day one as i alluded to earlier yes we use vr and ar but we're not a vr and ar company if that makes sense and by that yeah. i really mean verti works across all devices so we work on desktop we've got a mobile phone version of the platform as well as working in the headset so the most important thing for us is that the scenarios are accessible 
and that people have basically equity of access regardless of where they are. If you dive into sort of VR and AR, it's still really expanding industry in itself. People like PwC and McKinsey are putting out these kind of um, horizon scanning documents saying that it's going to be worth like hundreds of billions in X number of years. But the headsets are changing every single year. And if you're an organization like the NHS and you buy a whole load of headsets for all your hospitals or, or you're a medical school, you buy headsets for your simulation center, those could be out of date in a number of years. So you've got to take into account all of these different financial restrictions and all of these different issues. And so with us, we've always said we're working with our customers sort of on a journey. We don't tie anyone into a specific headset. We don't force anyone to buy anything. If you just want to utilize the platform desktop, you can do that. And interestingly, my company has basically spun out a number of other kind of tech platforms and things from that which have been sold independently and one of the most successful ones is literally a little a bit a version of something like kahoot which is itself live audience engagement software and i think we sometimes forget when we talk about ai and vr and ar and all these super new technologies that sound very sexy that actually a lot of people don't have access to simple things on demand using active recall which is obviously one of the best ways or evidence best ways to learn anything so that's how we think about things. If someone has absolutely nothing, trying to sell in like an AI solution is probably a step too far if they don't understand some of the basics around how to engage that with just quiz question software or something like that. And how can you take people on that journey of showing them that the platform works? So that, that's a lot of what our sort of learning development team do. We will identify the customers in specific circumstances, specific needs, and then optimize the platform and its deployment kind of around those needs. Yeah, really great. I think one thing I specifically appreciated last night in my, during my deep dive on Verti is the fact that I probably spent over 20 hours doing these NHS education packages that they get you to do and this you get signed off and you get a certificate and then you say you're competent to do them. And obviously there's a need for them, but they are just so tedious and so boring. And I, I was looking at some of the courses in terms of... Um, learning about workplace bullying for example on the platform and it was just so much more interactive just more fun and i just really wish that this was that the nhs just fully adopt this and use this for all their training programs but yeah re really great and so in terms of progression what's next for verti ideally we want to get into it we want to get into a world where this is being used at every single university right and in yeah. the nhs as a whole so what's next what's your 10 to 15 year plan yeah, I think it's been interesting. So even over the last kind of four years, where we've been really commercializing pretty heavily the product in healthcare and outside, we've seen just a huge increase, not just around the pandemic, but actually like post-pandemic, where I think that people have got bored, as you said, with solutions like Zoom, and they're now looking at better ways to, to engage people in a more meaningful way. And I think certainly what our objective at the moment is to get our platform certainly into as many organizations as possible and show real enterprise level return on investment for those organizations and some we're doing quite a bit of work at the moment with amazon in the uk which is super super exciting we're looking to expand in into more kind of sectors like that around sort of soft skills training in terms of healthcare we've got a, a user base in the united states across a lot of the hospitals there and we're looking to basically build on some of the work we've done. So a lot of the, the work that we got quite well known for in the US was all around the emergency COVID training, actually, because obviously during COVID, people had to use ventilators for the first time. People had to go and put on PPE for the first time in their PAPA headgear, which was super specific. 
and they just didn't have the staff to upskill everybody and say, one of our customers, Cedar Sinai in Los Angeles, they utilized Verti to scale that training and, and the NHS in, in certain areas did as well. And we ended up getting featured in Time Magazine and on the NASDAQ Tower in Times Square, which was Yeah, I saw cool. that. Really great. So yeah, you know, I think for us, it's yes, expansion, but I think also hitting some of those really cool use cases where we can actually offer immediate value to our customers is really rewarding and we've got we've got a couple of things on the horizon that i'm probably not allowed to talk about uh, just publicly yet until everything's signed and sealed but yeah we've got some super fun stuff coming out later on in 2023 especially in the surgical sector i'll leave it at that but yeah i think it's going to be a, a fun ride for sure definitely sounds really great and i think you're a huge inspiration to students and doctors who are interested in innovation in healthcare potentially starting their own companies because you've done how many companies you started? Three? Three, yeah, three. Yeah, three, yeah. And, <laughs> and how old are you? Only, what, 30? A little bit older, actually. I'm 36. You're, you're a huge inspiration to the students, doctors out there who are looking to get started on their journey because having started three successful companies at the age of 36 is almost unheard of. So really great. So I guess what I wanted to ask you is what skills do you think are the most important for those students out there, those doctors out there who want to innovate in healthcare, start their own companies? Yeah, so I, th I think for me, in terms of like starting a company i think there's a couple of things you want to think of as a medical student or as a junior doctor and that first question is why do i think i want to start a company entrepreneurship isn't for everybody and i think sometimes especially as medics where we're all really competitive it's been top of their year in school you get to university it's super selective and for the most part everyone is super smart super talented and sometimes people go into medicine for the wrong reasons and it's exactly the same entrepreneurship or starting a business if you're starting a business because other people are starting a business or for external reasons or because you think it's cool, that's probably not the best thing to do. That might put leverage on yourself and force you to do some things early on. But if you're not very mission or value led, when things get more difficult later on in that business, it might be something that then you decide you don't want to pursue or it just becomes really stressful for you. So I think step one I always tell people is, analyze why you want to start a business if you're unhappy in your current job that's there's a big leap to then say i'm going to start a business to get out if you're unhappy in your current job there's a bunch of other things you can do you can switch careers you can take some time out you can look after yourself you can get to the root of the problem of what's causing your unhappiness i think that's the most important thing and then slightly related to that i would say probably you know not necessarily number two but also number one it's just humility. I think with technology advancing at all at such a high speed and the way that people sell and market things, you need to be very humble. So I, I get in my DMs on something like LinkedIn, I would say probably at least five people a week conservatively asking me, how can I go and start a business or how can I leave medicine and do something or can I come and work for you or something? And a lot of these people do it the correct way, but there is, there's still a small percentage where they think because they have got a medical degree or because they're a core surgical trainee or something like that, then they kind of, they'll easily step into a business role or easily do something. And what you've got to remember is that the skills that people have in business are very different to those in healthcare. So there are some that are absolutely translatable. And I always say, if you hear me talk anywhere, some of the, the most important things you learn in healthcare are the soft skills. So how to lead a team, how to communicate with patients, how to communicate with your colleagues how to manage your own emotions and well-being when you're getting up to do an operation at like four in the morning as an emergency. All these things that nobody else ever really gets exposed to on the planet, which is such a privilege to, to be able to learn that in, in a short space of time. But there's a lot of stuff that 
you don't learn as a doctor. So you don't learn anything to do with marketing, anything to do with sales, anything to do with setting things up, even just how to register a business or something like that. And so you've got to remain humble and you've got to ask for help when you need it. And you've got to remember that certainly anyone listening to this who is a, in med school or even a junior doctor, you've got so much time and you don't need to rush things. So if you want to learn how to build a business, the best thing to do is to get an intern at a business. You know, it's the best thing to do. You don't want to immediately quit your job, burn everything, go and try and your house or get some parent, like some money off your parents and start something up because that's very risky. Starting a side hustle, going and interning and learning on someone else's time is without question the best thing to do. And that's basically one of the things that I did. I interned for a company when I was in, I think my fourth, third or fourth year at Bristol. And they were, this was a sort of a startup created by some doctors who were being incubated in the university's innovation department. So I went to the innovation department, not knowing anything and said, what companies do you have? I saw this company that I quite looked like the look of. I connected to what they were doing. And I basically went and said to them, can I come and do anything for you guys for free? I'd love to basically do whatever. I just want to learn how you operate, how business works. And for any like early stage company, there's so much that you can help with, right? As a student, like whether it's like sending some emails, whether it's doing a podcast like you're doing, right? There's just a ton of stuff because there's always work to do, but you will learn so much by practically doing things. And if you combine those things where it's having humility, learning, having patience, you can build up your skill set just by doing something, whether it's like reading a bunch of business books like I've done, one, one every couple of weeks or something, and working on something practical, you're going to get good quick. And then I think then the remaining skills and the remaining things you want to be looking at are what's my big mission, not just in business, but as a person, if I am going to set up a business, am I going to leave medicine? Am I going to remain in and do it as a side hustle? How am I going to manage my time? And some of those more practical things. And a, a lot of this is really just understanding who you are and what you want to do with your time because running a business being an entrepreneur is no better than being a doctor being a doctor is no better than any other job in society it's just a different thing and i think that's often where people get stuck because they think something is better than something else and it's very ego-based rather than thinking what do i actually enjoy what am I actually going to get the most fun out of doing combined with obviously getting a decent kind of financial return on on whatever it is you're working on. So that's a kind of rambly way of me thinking about like how I would approach starting something up or leaving medicine or going and doing something different. You definitely don't need to leave. And I think having a side hustle early on de-risks everything else because if you fail at a side hustle, you've still got your day job. If you fail at a business, you've left to start that's a disaster. Although we hear people say failure is good, I agree with that because you learn the most from failing, but you want to fail at small things quickly. So, you know, if you push out a marketing campaign and no one opens your emails, that's a good failure because you can then change the email and send out again the next day. If you fail like the lady Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos did on her startup and you go to jail for fraud, that's a bad failure. Right? So there's a, you know, there's a stepwise progression of what is a good failure and what is a bad failure. But that, that's what I would suggest people look at. You fail in, a, in an environment where it's safe and you learn the most from it and you're not getting too upset about it. Yeah, definitely. And I, just to add to that, I think, I guess in growing my personal and professional skills over the last two years, the best way I've done that is through interning for free. Obviously, don't get overworked you also need to balance your medical school life and make sure you're still passing exams and still being sociable enjoying university but if you do get some spare time 
and you do want to, I guess, learn more about med tech, health tech, the best way I found is honestly just interning for free and then maybe that might lead to a real job. You never know. Or might lead to you starting something yourself, but then at least you have those really valuable skills. Just ask, I noticed you obviously did teach yourself the code and I was talking to one of my other my peers, we were having a discussion whether it is, is actually any value as a clinician teaching yourself how to code because the argument against was that we won't ever be as good as those computer science programmers that have gone to uni for X amount of years and spent their whole life learning. So I wanted to ask you, what are the benefits that you've seen of you teaching yourself to code in your, in setting up your businesses? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think probably part of a bigger question, which is like when you get into business or in fact, if you're doing anything, what things should you be spending your time on and what things should you be delegating? Because certainly when I built my businesses, I, there's no way that you can do everything. You, you want to employ people who are better than you and preferably much better at you than the, for in, in every aspect of that business, whether it's running the finances, whether it's coding, whether it's marketing or sales, you want to make yourself as, as useless as possible by hiring really good people. But I think, to answer your question, I think when you start off, learning and upskilling yourself in as many things as possible early on is really beneficial because you've then got a much more innate understanding of what those things involve. So if you can teach yourself to be able to code a project that is effectively like an MVP for your product, which is basically what I did. So I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like a professional coder. I can't code in like Python. I don't know anything about machine learning. I can train an algorithm or anything like that, but I can use HTML, CSS, PHP, Ruby to build what is basically an MVP style of website, get some feedback on it. So depending on what you want to do, if you are passionate about a specific type of company you want to build that's a little bit techy, you need to ask yourself, can I teach myself how to build this startup MVP? And depending on what it is you want to do, for me, where it was like online courses and things like that with my original business, the answer was yes. I know that's within my capabilities. I know it's not that difficult in the realm of coding. For building a VR solution, like maybe I could learn like Unity and like Unreal yeah. Engine and stuff, but that's going to take a long period of time. And it's not an effective use of my time as the CEO. So that's a very easy thing to to say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to delegate it. In, in terms of should all clinicians learn to code, I think you want some understanding of what these technologies mean, especially things like AI, which are going to come in more and more. So just understanding about whether it's language models or computer vision, not in any huge detail, but just how they work. And then it's different strokes for different folks, right? If you love getting into the nitty gritty, if you love learning, if you want to dive in deeper and build out and you love building apps in your spare time and it's a hobby, 100% go and do it. That, that's a great use of your time. If you're learning, that's never, ever a waste of your time. A waste of your time is doing stuff that you're not going to enjoy, in my opinion. And that's my yardstick for all these things. If I don't have fun doing something, I catch myself pretty quick and I'm like, why am I doing this? I need to outsource that to somebody else. Yeah, that really honestly makes sense. So at the moment I'm working on a digital solution just to help the Nottingham Children's Hospital create just a patient-friendly discharge plans for pediatric patients with asthma. And I don't have any technical coding skills, but what I did do is create a proof of concept MVP using just a low-code, no-code app software. And so in terms of being aware of how to code, I can see that being extremely valuable. 
how you said it. But yeah, really insightful, really great. And just as we close up the podcast, I know we're we're just pushing time now, but I wanted to ask you last final thoughts, last call of action for any students interested in getting started on their entrepreneurial journey. And what are the biggest lessons you've learned? Real simple, just do it. Just take the leap. The best way to learn is by doing things that you're not going to lose anything by going and sending an email and reaching out to somebody and seeing if you can intern or starting your own business or setting up a website, whatever it is, just do it. Factor in the time and get going. And I think for me, my own learning is you've just got to have patience and everything takes time whether it's becoming a consultant whether it is building a tech startup whether it's making a difference in whatever it is you want to make a difference in you've just got to manage your time and be consistent every single day if you pick up a book and read a book on marketing just a page a day for the next like year even that you're going to have learned something in that period of time so none of these things are difficult and you've just got to prioritize and manage your time as effectively as possible to to level yourself up sure that's really great it's been amazing speaking to you alex and thank you so much for giving me the time just to pick your brain have a conversation with you and i know there's a lot of students like myself junior doctors like myself interested in medtech out there who will be jotting down notes having heard your story so i guess thank you so much for inspiring the next generation of clinicians that are out there no thanks man really enjoyed it and just keep doing all the great stuff you're doing and and anyone out there listening just get after it that's my best advice Thank you. Really appreciate that.